right, here we are, another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Daniela, who is the founder and CEO of Sustainable Ocean Alliance, who is also an award-winning social entrepreneur, thought leader, international speaker on entrepreneurial mentality. She talks about ocean innovation, technology, youth empowerment, and blockchain for social good. She is a remarkable human being doing some awesome work on this planet. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, before we jump in, don't forget all of these awesome guests end up in our journaling and mental fitness app, Keo, to help guide you through your daily reflection. Take first spin, it's in the Apple App Store, and let us know what you think. Lastly, we've teamed up with the team over at Air. If you're a regular listener of podcasts, this just might really make you happy. Because if you've ever tried to share a specific clip of a conversation, you've realized this is not possible. But I'm happy to say it is now possible. And as a listener of the show, you can gain access to their free private beta iPhone app. There's a link in the show notes. Just sign up for early access. And Air essentially lets you capture the moments that stand out to you while you're listening and then send these clips to your friends or share them on social. So if you use Air and tweet your favorite moment from our show, make sure to tag us on Twitter, Keo app, KYO app, and you just might appear on the next episode. Thanks as always for listening and have the absolute best day yet. Daniela, the the first question I ask all guests, and it's the same one for everyone, and it's just, who are you or what defines you as a person? Thanks, Mark, and thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be doing this with you. Wow, that's a a big one. (laughs) (laughs) So so who am I? Um, Well, let's see. I would say that I'm a risk taker, um, a community builder, a visionary, and a very optimistic person. Um, who has been heartbroken by how we are destroying our planet and is using compassion, connectivity, and integrity to try to make the world a better place somehow. That's a great response. It's, uh, you can feel there, there's definitely a lot of heart in that. And I'll absolutely want to back it up a bit just to see where all that's coming from. But first of all, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of just being heartbroken um, regarding the planet. I think it's 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 tragic and there's there's obviously a, a mix of you know we need to educate um first and foremost so people understand what's happening because i think a lot of us don't even have a clue um and then and then obviously trying to, to to motivate people to to do something about it right so we're like where is all this coming from when when did it all start for you in terms of having a, a mindset to um make some change in into this world yeah, for me, it started very early on. I was 12 years old okay. <laughs> and I was um, on my way home from uh, from elementary school when I saw a picture of the movie An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore. And so I'm walking home from school and I see this poster of these penguins walking on sand. And, you know, that, the background to this is I, I love penguins. I've always, you know, um, loved them as my favorite animal. And I just did not understand the concept as to why they're walking on sand. So 
next thing you know, I run to Blockbuster and I, you know, I get the video and I'm watching this film and I'm completely in awe by what Al Gore is, is saying in this film. Yeah. And my world shattered right there. And then my entire worldview of what my perfect bubble of, you know, being a kid and playing and, and just having all of these non-existent responsibilities were gone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from then on, I knew that our environment was changing. I knew that climate change was a reality that I had just been exposed to. And I also knew the possible repercussions that it could have you know, to people worldwide. And so that was the moment for me where I realized not only is that something that I want to help solve, but it's my responsibility. Um, and this was, you know, <laughs> at 12 years old, I felt responsible to solve the climate crisis. <laughs> slightly, slightly some pressure there for you. <laughs> what, <laughs> like, what was happening around you? Because even, you know, even as we speak today, there's obviously still a lot of people out there that um, don't believe or for sure don't understand the, the magnitude of, of what we're talking about. So I, I can't even imagine, you know, back when you were 12, like what were some of some of the comments or like what did your support network, I guess, look like when you, you came to this realization? Yeah, I didn't have support network back then. Uh, the only thing I could rely on were books and research and documentaries because back then no one was talking about the climate crisis. No one was talking about climate change. Back then global warming was a scary word that Al Gore had invented. Um, and the, the mainstream news outlets were simply not giving it the time of day. So for me, it was a very solitary and in, introspective time to do my own research, to learn about it myself. You know, I took an environmental science class then when I was in high school. And so it took a lot of my personal time to just wrap my mind around the problem. And then the scariest part wasn't understanding what was happening, but then understanding what I could do. <laughs> because as I'm sure you, you feel the same way, everyone is passionate about a topic. But then when you ask yourself, what can me like one person do about this that's when it gets overwhelming of course so i mean that's a great segue into a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast and it's just going from you know a realization or an idea and how do you go to the next step and uh you know feeling alone i mean i think that can be can be paralleled with so many different situations especially when it comes to you know entrepreneurship which is obviously another um role in your life or or a huge part in your life. So how, how have you dealt with that? Or like, what, what are some of the things that you're doing for your own mind to push forward and not fall into a lot of that? I I don't know how to phrase that, but I mean, I, I guess just falling into a trap of not feeling like you can actually do something. Yeah. So I guess I'll I'll answer that question because there's two phases of the journey, right? The first phase is being alone and having this passion or, you know, being frustrated by this, by this issue. Um, and the way I tackle that, the time of my life, and, and that really was elementary school and high school and then even college when I was still trying to figure out my, my why and then my how. Um, and the way I approached that was by asking questions. I, I built my own community. Um, I found that the platform that I needed the support system, the resources, the mentorship didn't exist. So I had to go out there and create it myself. Um, 
And then that leads us to, you know, the, the second phase of, of my life, which is now, you know, being a full-time entrepreneur. Um, I've been out of college for two years and it's definitely challenging. And I, def- you know, I want to dive deeper into those challenges. And I think that even now the loneliness is, it's real. And I find comfort in reaching out to my, my own colleagues, uh, reaching out to mentors, to investors, people that understand the challenges you're going through um, and leaning on them for advice, for guidance, because otherwise it definitely can be um, a lonely journey. Totally. No, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's, um, it's important for anyone to have to, to really surround themselves with, you know, people they trust and, and that can answer or at least provide guidance in, in these types of situations. Like we don't all have to figure everything out on our own. There's a lot of great people out there that have paved different paths, right? And then that allows you to go down your unique journey as, as well. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about before we really get into, obviously, I, I want to chat specifically about the work that you guys are doing. I think it's incredibly uh, important for this world. But just sticking a little bit with you as a, as a person, um, we're connected because of uh, a podcast done by Cal Fussman, who interviewed you. And also, you know, I want to make mention, um, because I, I think a lot of people really take um, Cal Fussman uh, with a lot of degree of respect, and, and I, I put him in that bucket as well. And, you know, he, he said something, you know, Danielle's going to, Danielle's going to change the world or be the next president. And, you know, and then, and then jumped right into these crazy, bold promises that you've made on um, big stages around the world. And, I, I, you know, why don't you share the, the one, one of the very first uh, big promises you made and, and where is this coming from? Like, where is this just no fear drive coming from, from, um, for you as a, as a human? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you reference, uh, the big, the big risk taking promises for sure. <laughs> so, I guess I'll give a little bit of context, um, yeah. to make the story make sense. But when I graduated from college, I, I had no money for my nonprofit. Um, and I had turned on all my job offers. So I, I literally crossed that stage with, with nothing. Um, but the only thing I had was this belief in myself and the belief that I had the responsibility to continue building the nonprofit I started when I was a freshman in college. And so before this happened, I had, um, promised the European Union that I would be putting on an international summit along alongside them um, and bringing 150 young leaders uh, to Malta. No big deal. <laughs> and of course, I was working closely with the European Union and all was going well, but little did they know that I, it was just me <laughs> at the time. And that, you know, I had all the intention in the world to, to make it happen, but I obviously didn't have the resources nor um, the support to do so, but I, I just knew that I would work as hard as I could, that I would, you know, like find the people that could support me in, in making this event happen. Uh, and of course it, it was a huge success, right? Not only did we bring 150 young people, we had, um, uh, you know, secretary John Kerry join us. We had, um, you know, different presidents come to the event, CEOs. I mean, it was an amazing, amazing, uh, convening, but at the end of the day, everyone doubted that I could make it happen. Everyone that knew <laughs> the behind the scenes um, doubted that this could be a possibility. But I think that drive comes from knowing that you have to give it your all. 
Um, I like referencing the um, Hernando Cortez story where he you know, he burns all his ships and none of his army can go back and there's, you know, you just have to fight the battle um, and and you can't give up. And I, I always have that mentality of you have to do it not only for yourself, but for the cause, right? And the cause to me is our climate and our environment and the urgency in which we have to act is so urgent, you know, in, in, my, in, in my core that I feel like that's what drives me every day. I love it. And it, it just, I can't help but thinking because some of that, some of those elements have, have come up with us as well, because, you know, on the, on the journaling front, it sometimes it's just seen as a, you know, reflective practice, but we've interviewed or, or seen enough of these type of practices to seeing that, you know, it can save lives, for example, right? So for us, it's like, you know, every 45 seconds, someone's taking their life and it, it doesn't have to be like this. So it, that sense of urgency just drives you to a whole other level. So totally resonate um, with that. Um, please do share the next big promise because I think it was at that it was at that conference where you announced the next phase. Uh, I think it was your accelerator, right, for Ocean uh, Ocean Alliance. Yeah, that's right. So at that conference, after making that big <laughs> promise, um, I had also committed. To, to, to world leaders and, you know, to ambassadors and to CEOs and to everyone that was in that room. And you can think of it as like the UN for the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> um, I committed that Sustainable Ocean Alliance would be launching the first ever Ocean Solutions Accelerator. And again, for context here at the time, it was still just me working full time. I had raised enough funding uh, from individuals to sustain me for a year living in San Francisco. But I still didn't have a team. I still didn't have the funding needed to pull this off. But again, it was this, this need that the ecosystem had to support ocean tech entrepreneurs. And I knew that I would do everything I could to, to build it out and make it work. Um, and more so than that, I also had so many, I still have so many young people looking at me for help and, and depending on me to make their projects come to life. So it's ultimately feeling that sense of, of ownership for the problem, but also knowing that you will, you know, use all the resources you have at hand and even more um, and compel people to support you, right? Given that um, you're making these big promises and these big commitments. And like, and what's some of, just mentally, not, not like an actual physical action item, but like mentally when you come off the stage from, from making a, a big promise like that, and I'd imagine this stuff is continuing in, in other ways, maybe not so publicly, but just knowing you as a, as a person or your personality, I'd imagine that that theme is continuing. But from a, from a mental standpoint, like what is the first step after, after that? How do you align your mind to say, okay, let's like, I have to do this, or this is, this is what needs to, to take place from a mental perspective to actually pull this off. Definitely. So I think the first feeling after, you know, stepping off stage uh, is panic. Yeah. Utter fear. <laughs> like what is happening right now? Um, but then the immediate calming and soothing effect that happens is my vision. And I just see it. I see what the accelerator is going to be, or I see what the conference is going to be. And, and just closing my eyes and seeing all the pieces come together gives me so much relief because I see it as attainable and I see it as tangible. Um, and so from then, I just also take a deep breath <laughs> and 
and tell myself it's going to require a lot of hard work. I, you know, re, um, reassess everything that needs to happen. And of course, this is like in, in, in like a 10 second, you know, time sprint that all of these course. ideas come through mind. Um, but I think that's it. It's, it's like panic to the vision to then the reassurance that I have it in me and that I know every step I have to take to get there. Um, that happens right right after, you know, any type of commitment of that magnitude. Well, so let's talk about some of the awesome outcomes that have come from these these big promises that have been set. And why don't you just explain a little bit about the uh, work that you're doing specifically? And and I'd love to know why um, why you chose to focus specifically in in youth engagement and entrepreneurship to really help solve a lot of these problems. Sure. The the journey really started when um, I got to college and I went to Georgetown University when. I was asking myself, what can I do? How can I make something meaningful happen? And I, um, I was invited to attend a meeting at the UN um, by my university. And I was sitting inside that UN meeting. And of course, I'm, I'm 19 years old, right? I feel totally out of place. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing in there. Um, and I'm just like trying to, you know, like fit in <laughs> to, to the best of my ability. But I, I had had two big realizations from that UN meeting. And the first meeting was that I was one of the only young people in the room. Everyone else around me was, you know, their 40s, 50s and, and older. Um, not to say that they shouldn't be in the room, but I just felt like there was a huge discrepancy of, yeah. of the generation that is inheriting these problems and the people that are making the decisions on their behalf. <laughs> totally. It, it just did not seem right. <laughs> so from then, that was my first realization. The second one was everyone in the room was going up on stage and there were scientists talking about the, you know, by the year 2050, we're going to have more plastic than fish in the ocean by weight. Or, you know, by the year 2040, we're going to deplete all of our fishing stocks and you know, the 3.5 billion people that depend on fish will no longer be able to eat. And you're listening to all these problems and you're totally and completely terrified <laughs> because you just don't know what you can do. And it's depressing and you just feel as if it's a, an enormous problem. So I wanted to, when I left that meeting, I wanted to focus on solutions, on hope, on something that any person out there could Know, wrap their minds around and say, I'm taking ownership of this problem instead of pointing the finger at a corporation or a government. I can be an entrepreneur or I can be an innovative um, and do something to help the ocean. So that's where that came from. That's amazing. And, and how do you, because I think you, you brought up a really good point about just the magnitude of, of what's happening. So for you then, how do you break it down so that it doesn't, you know, it's not such this such as this massive um, issue, which it is obviously, but there's almost a sense of, of hopelessness, right? If you're, if you're looking at, you're listening to all the stats coming out versus like you're saying, you know, moving into more of a solutions mode and trying to tackle this in some capacity. Yeah. So the approach that I take is thinking about the individual grassroots approach. Okay. So instead of thinking as a, you know, like a very large uh, entity or large organization, you know, for example, a nonprofit may say, we have the answer to the problem, sign this petition and, and everything will be, will be resolved. Um, we believe that instead of telling people what they need to do, we need to ask them what they, what they can do and what they want to do and then support their efforts. 
And when you think about it, it's a completely like different paradigm shift, right? Of the top down telling people how to solve the problem versus bottom up, empowering people on the ground, you know, people in the Marshall Islands who are experiencing climate change every single day of their lives and who may know exactly what their community needs to build upon or a young person in um, you know, Liberia who wants to completely redesign their, um, their infrastructure to be able to recycle. They know what they need. And we as an organization and me as a, you know, as the leader of the organization, um, want to help support them in, in making this change happen because they know what's going on, not the politicians who are sitting, you know, like 50 miles away from the problem um, and trying to prescribe a solution. No, totally. It, it, it makes perfect sense. Just uh, along those lines, I'm curious, uh, and maybe this was more in the earlier, earlier days or in perhaps it's getting a little bit easier, but even just for you going out to fundraise for, for these type of causes and trying to educate people that may not have the insight into what's happening. And, and I, I want to ask this question because I feel like it can apply to so many different scenarios where, you know, obviously we are maybe a little bit more educated in what we're working on versus the, the, the party sitting across the, the table or phone. It, have you found anything that's been helpful to try to get those points across and, you know, bring that, I guess, that sense of urgency and, and that, that desire to, to create change so that they, they buy in and either, you know, provide support or funding or whatever it is that you're, that you're looking for? Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to answer this question with a completely different answer. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> All <laughs> right, let's do it's, it. It's, and this is a secret to fundraising, to be honest, uh, for any, any cause, any nonprofit or any for profit. And you have to find investors that are willing to invest on the jockey, not the horse. Yeah. Right. Um, and people overlook that often and they think that they have to find the, the people that are passionate about the ocean or climate. And it's true. And you do have to find those people, but it's not about educating them about the cause, but it's having them believe in you as a person and building those relationships early on and cultivating those relationships for them to understand that you as Mark or me as Daniela will give it their all will work night and day to make this nonprofit, you know, happen or, or make this, you know, business to take it off the ground. And so it's truly about putting yourself in the best light um, and helping the other person understand your own potential and less so than convincing them about the, the, you know, the direness of the cause, whereas it is important, but the most important thing is convincing them on your own ability to be able to, um, to make your, your idea come to life. Of course. And you know what I, what I really like about that as well is there's, there's an element there that I think flips from short-term thinking as well to long-term relationship building, right? And like really authentic relationships that who knows, maybe, you know, this year isn't the year where you're going to get that person's support, but you're building an actual real relationship versus just this transactional kind of setup, right? that obviously need, you know, probably a balance to keep, keep things going or if the, or relationships are always at different stages, but, um, that I, I just really just, I see that in, in our world as well. Just when, when you can shift your perspective to that thinking, then so many things open up. Definitely. No, that's right. And then the other point that I'll make, and this is in general, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a student or you're a professional, it's just developing self-awareness early on in your life. Um, I was lucky enough to I think I was in high school and I just 
I understood the power of knowing who I was and knowing who I wanted to be and knowing the things that I would do to get there. Um, and when you think about being an entrepreneur, you would truly have to ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice to, to get there? Am I willing to, you know, have no social life? Am I willing to, you know, work, you know, 60, 70 hours a, a day or whatever it is, right. Or a week. Um, but it, it's, it's just really wrapping your mind around who it is that you want to be and who you are without having other people define that for you. Absolutely. And it's like, it's as if you're looking at my, uh, my notes that literally was going to be <laughs> my next question, because I, what I, what I wanted to say was it's very clear that you have a heightened sense of, of self-awareness. And to be honest, um, the, 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 the overarching theme of it's been, I think we're at almost 140 interviews now in the last couple of years is, is actually that, um, everyone I've been speaking to have these, these heightened senses of, of self-awareness, but everyone comes to it in a different way or there are different practices or different beliefs that have augmented that, but the, the consistent is, is that it is augmented. So I guess the question for you, uh, Daniela, like what are some of these um, practices or what are some things that you feel have helped you develop that acute sense of, of self-awareness? Yeah, so I guess the one practice that I, I think I started doing it um, unconsciously and then it became more of a um, conscious practice is putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And by doing so, you then realize why you feel uncomfortable or where your limitations are. And I'll just give you a, a very interesting example, which uh, Joel will just tell you about my, more my personal personality. Let's go I, um, for it. <laughs> When I was in college, I used to, you know, get invited to different parties and, and events. And I would feel so uncomfortable at college parties because I wanted to go back home and work at my nonprofit, right? <laughs> and so it was one of those things where I just became incredibly antisocial, not because I didn't want to socialize with people, but because I I knew that the the common thing and the the right quote unquote thing to do in college is to go to college parties and meet new people and hang out with your friends. But I knew that I would be happier by staying in my dorm room, head down, building this, this organization. Um, and it takes, it takes a lot for you not to, you know, let social norms define you. Yeah. Um, and from then on, I think that was like one of the awakening moments for me. And then I realized that in other situations, I do the same thing, right? Like, I try something out. If I don't feel comfortable in it, I ask myself, why is that the case? So truly really having that dialogue with yourself um, after you experience something that isn't necessarily free for you and then knowing it and not doing it again is, is the key here. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love it. Well, the world thanks you for uh, wanting to rush back to your room and <laughs> work on this <laughs> nonprofit. <you>. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, it, it's very obvious that you're a very reflective person. Uh, I think I've heard questions come up several times in, in this um, conversation, which obviously on our side, we're a huge fan of powerful reflective questions. So I'm curious just specifically on that front, when, when you are seeing these scenarios and you're asking some of these questions, is there, is this just in the moment or do you take time to write or journal or like, I don't know, take a walk and think about these things? Like what are some of the tactical things that you're doing? 
Yeah. So one tactical thing that I always do when I have any big decision to make is um, I take a walk. Uh, you're just by myself. Um, it could be anywhere, you know, just around the block or, you know, a longer, longer walk. And, and I ask myself a couple of questions, right? And so I guess one of those questions is, does this decision align with my values, right? Um, which yeah. brings us back to self-awareness, knowing what your values are and, and having, I think a lot of people think about having business plans for their you know, organizations or startups, but you have, you should have a business plan for yourself as a person Love You need to have your own vision statement and your own mission and, and the core values that define who you are. And, and I think I, I, I built that on earlier on by journaling, right? That's the other practice that I was going to bring up. Okay. Um, and the other question I always ask myself is, am I doing this for myself or for someone else? And that's powerful. <laughs> yeah. You got, you've got me hanging on it. Um, that's interesting. So w- walk me through that a little bit, like, cause I feel like that question could actually go either way, obviously, uh, and not necessarily negative or positive. Uh, how do you, how do you frame that one up for you? Yeah, I frame it in the way, and I, you know, think back again to when I had to make this incredibly, you know, like large life changing decision of, do I take a regular job in wall street which provides financial stability and security mm-hmm. um or and and do i listen to my mentors and and the, the people that are supposed to know what i'm supposed to be doing or do i take this risk you're out of being an entrepreneur um and then when i had to ask that i knew that for them and for my for my mom and for my my, my family the right answer would be to take the the cushy job at Wall Street, right? But I think for me, I knew I would be unhappy. I knew it wasn't in my heart. Um, and it's also just going back to the societal construction as to what you're supposed to do versus what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's how I would frame the question that I would encourage everyone to ask um, whenever they come to any big decision in their life. Well, I love it because it, it also links back to what you, you said earlier about just having that personal business plan for yourself, right? Because if you've taken some time to reflect on that and really truly understand what, what you value, then all of a sudden the answer to a question like that, um, I don't want to say it's easier, but there's definitely more links, right, that you can, you can draw upon and hopefully come to the, um, to the, the answer that, that feels right. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you were getting at earlier is you know, that question can also be flipped, right? Maybe you are being selfish and just doing things for yourself, um, but you should be thinking about, you know, other people in your lives uh, that matter or the world at large. So yeah, yeah, I think just having perspective as to um, why you're doing something is key. So um, this will be the last question for for the, the journaling front, just because a lot of people listening obviously are interested in, the, in these topics. Um, when do you do it? Is there, is there a set time in the day? Like what are some of the routines that you've got uh, set around journaling? Yeah. So in the mornings, I always um, go to the gym every day. <laughs> That's the way to get you know, my mind off of things and just stress yeah. relief. Um, and then I meditate after the gym um, okay. because I find that it's easy to meditate when your mind is already calm from when you wake up. But it's, it's a harder practice when you meditate, when your mind's already running, you know, 500 miles yeah. <laughs> uh, ahead of you. Um, and so How long do you meditate? Usually for 15 to 20 minutes, 
Okay. And are you using any apps or is this purely unguided? Um, I, it's pretty much unguided. I just find a quiet slot, you know, spot and, and just close my eyes. Uh, I like Headspace though for an app. If anyone yeah. out there hasn't used it yet, um, did just have some like good uh, beginner lessons that I definitely I would recommend. Um, and so that's when I, after I meditate, I just write the, you know, the, the main three things that are on my mind. Okay. Um, and that could be anything from what I'm grateful about or what I'm worried about or what I'm feeling, um, just to get all that out of my system before I start my day. And then at, e- at the evening, when I get back home, um, you know, after a long day of craziness, um, I do a little bit more journaling, um, nothing structured, more of just a, a brain dump of how I'm feeling, how things went, and always go back to the three feelings or questions or um, areas that I was reflecting on in the morning to see how those have developed over the day. Oh, I love it. So how does, like, how has this, I, I guess I should say how, I mean, this, this sounds like an awesome routine, um, first of all, and hopefully people find this helpful to pick up on, but how, how has this evolved over the years? Have you always had this, this pretty strict practice or, you know, gym meditation journaling, or has it evolved or have you added any things in or taken things out? Yeah, I think that the gym has been more persistent sure. <laughs> nowadays when I'm an entrepreneur because I have a lot more stress and I have a little bit more of, you know, the, the, the time ability to um, make my own schedule. Whereas before, you know, being in college, you had all these different uh, responsibilities. Yeah. But I, and it doesn't have to be the gym, right? I think for me, working out is something that just like gets my mind off everything. Um, but I would definitely encourage people to, to make that, you know, gym as if, as if they're brushing your teeth, right? Making something that it's so core to who you are and that you cannot go to bed without doing yeah. um, that just changing the mentality of instead of it being a chore you have to do, I, I think of it more as it's part of my personality. Like I think of myself as an athlete, right? Instead of, of being course. someone that I have to, something that I have to go do is something that is part of who I am. And that has definitely evolved over the past uh, couple of years. Love it. It's it's funny because I, I actually gave a, a talk to about 100 students yesterday. And, and to open it up, I just asked out of curiosity, you know, how many people in the room were doing something physical for their body? And I'd say 90 plus percent of the people lifted their hand. And then I asked the same question about um, how many people were doing something for their mind. Mm. And it was probably 25 percent of, of the group that, that lifted their hand. So, you know, it, and it's increasing, which, which is nice, but this is why, you know, obviously this is why I'm asking you so many questions just to show that, yeah. you know, of course you're going to the gym, but then you also have, you know, these other mental fitness practices that um, clearly you're prioritizing your life and that are keeping you um, at a level that obviously we're all benefiting around the world because of the amazing work that you're doing. So um, thank you for for bearing with me on on all the questions around that. Of course, Mark. No, I appreciate it. I think to your point, it's you don't take care of your mind and your body. I mean, they all they work together, yeah. right? And if you let one go, then you're letting your entire you know existence go, and, and your job and the people that that you love. So it's definitely uh, something to keep in mind and uh, make a priority. Absolutely. Well, and this is this is also why I'm I'm personally really excited to, to continue working with you guys on with Accelerator because you know you have you have all these amazing people that have these incredible ideas and you know awesome technology and all this drive and purpose, but 
you know, at the end of the day, if they, if they burn out or something happens physically or mentally, you know, the, the idea is now useless, right? Like it, it can't see the light of day without that, without that team pushing it forward. So I think it's just it's so important that we just keep talking and, and, and help each other, right? And just have this open dialogue that there are a ton of things that we can do and that we're not alone, right? In this, this crazy roller coaster of life that goes up and down. Yeah, I agree. And and also just to your point is raising more awareness about the good and the bad of entrepreneurship because people glorify it yeah, <laughs> as totally. if it's this, uh, you know, you travel around the world. And then I think Instagram is a perfect place where you see that, right? Everyone thinks, thinks it's the best thing to do with your life. And, and it can be, um, but they don't see the flip side of it. They don't see the the times where you're, scrambling to fundraise where you have, you know, people that are depending on you for their paychecks every month, right? Where you have these big commitments that you're making to, to global leaders and you have to deliver on <laughs> I wonder where that's coming from. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, you know, a, a lonely place to be because oftentimes when you're the CEO, everyone's looking at you for support and for answers and, and you don't necessarily have someone to talk to um, unless you find the, the, that support system for yourself. So I thank you for raising awareness about that issue. And, and I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs deal with is loneliness and depression. And the more that we can make it a norm to talk about, the easier it will be for them to be able to openly talk about these problems. No, absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, I'm going to start wrapping up because I want to be conscious of your time. I actually have quite a few questions, but I do want to, um, sorry, reflect the questions from you that have come out of this conversation already, but I just wanted to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, if there are three reflective questions you find yourself asking on a frequent basis or during some of these bigger life events um, that you'd like to leave with us, just in case I've missed any of them. Yeah, maybe let's repeat two of the ones I, I mentioned and I'll give one more. Sure. Um, I think the first one that I mentioned was the design of my values, um, which Love is you know, key. Um, the second one is, am I doing this for myself or for someone else? And the third one would be, um, how will I feel about this one year from now? Ooh, I love that. And I think one year is a perfect time period to think about a change in your life because it's not as distant as, you know, saying, oh, in five years, I will be, you know, this different person, but something that you can see in 12 months, how will this change affect you? Yeah, it really is a perfect time frame. I love that. Thank you. Last question for you. You know, if you really think about it, put all the details aside and what you're working on and, and, and everything going on uh, in the world, what, what truly makes you smile each day? I think the people. Hmm. I, I find hope in, in the passion that other people bring to this cause you know, just being in my office now and looking at my coworkers across the, the window and just seeing that they're here and they're committed. I mean, that makes me smile. And also talking to our young leaders, you know, we have them in 165 countries now and thinking about the work they're doing and how passionate and dedicated they are, that makes me smile. And I just, it's hope. I think we have too little of hope these days and I hope we can have some more of it and spread it as much as possible. I agree. I mean, I have a huge, huge smile on my face right now. Um, just listening to you say that it's, it's been such a pleasure 
to speak with you and I look forward to, to continuing the journey with you and the team. And, you know, like I obviously want to personally thank you, but I, w- I want to really send a heartfelt thanks for from everyone listening and everyone out there that, you know, truly is benefiting from the work that you're putting out there, you and the team, um, these wild, bold visions that you've set out and all of the, you know, the risks that you've taken on and, and just the daily work that that falls on your plate to really make this world uh, a better place. So a huge thanks and acknowledgement for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Mark. That means a lot. It really does. I really appreciate it. Yes, you made it to the end of the conversation. Thank you so much for your attention. And if you enjoyed the chat, leave us a little love wherever you're listening. Stars or views, they go a long way. Don't forget, you can find all of these guests along with a ton of powerful reflective prompts in our digital journaling app, Kyo, K-Y-O. Search it in the Apple App Store and it'll pop up. Wishing you the absolute best in your mental fitness and an incredible day.